Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Matt Zolfa with me. Matt, we've been friends a long time. I remember the first time I heard your name, it was from Jessica Nunn. And we were giving a brown bag lunch at uh, MWA. And they're like, do you know Matt Zolfo? And we're like, mm -mm. they're like, everybody knows Matt Zolfo. <laughs> and I, I'll tell you, everyone does know Matt Zolfo. Um, I, I'm at a conference in San Antonio and they're like, you guys know Matt Zolfo? And we're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> everybody does. Man, I would love to hear your origin story of how'd you get into dental? I know, you know, we met, you were at Shine selling like a billion dollars a week in equipment. <laughs> And, and now you're at, you're at the, uh, professional transition strategies. Talk me through sort of how you got started and, and how you ended up where you are. Oh, gladly. Well, first of all, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And, uh, there's nobody's really in between on me. They either love me or they can't stand me. So I'm glad <laughs> that you and I are on the, on the, uh, on the latter, uh, two of those scenarios, but no, certainly appreciate your time, Eric. You've always been a real good friend and between you and Andre and the, you know, the, the uh, real special organization you guys have built. I'm just glad we can still interface and work together. So, um, well, my story started in Houston. I grew up in Houston and went to Baylor. Um, and by the grace of God, at the ripe young age of 21, got hired by the largest provider of products and services to the office-based practitioner mm -hmm. in the world, which was Henry Schein Dental. Um, historically, their model for hiring equipment guys was to take a tenured service technician or someone who knew the inner workings or infrastructure of, of a dental practice and then kind of hand them a, you know, a briefcase and have them go design and build dental practices. So um, my story was very different. Uh, I had a degree from Baylor in MIS, Management Information Systems, and believe it or not, professional selling. Uh, at the time, Baylor had a consultant sales degree that taught really kind of helping people find a need in business and accomplish that mm -hmm. through a series of value, uh, value oriented, you know, tasks. So that seemed to fit the Henry Schein model young. So they kind of took a flyer on me. And, and again, um, all glory be to God himself. My territory happened to be the largest growing major metropolitan area, uh, in the United States, which was DFW. So I moved mm -hmm. up to Dallas in 04, uh, and then did that for many, many years, had the good, uh, privilege of helping doctors start practices. Um, you know, I was first practice I uh, started was uh, a wonderful woman by the name of Jill Sentlinger in Prosper, which at the time was a flashing red light at 380 mm -hmm. in Preston-ish, uh, plus a quarter mile or so. And she had just graduated Baylor Dental School and uh, wanted to start her own dental practice. So that was, I didn't design that practice, but took over the, you know, kind of the equipment order and the overseeing event services and, and all that jazz. So fast forward 14 years from that, did uh, a little over 847 startups between the Oklahoma border and Temple and Tyler out to Weatherford and would only go to remote markets, West Texas or Houston or Austin, if it was a client that I had already mm -hmm. started uh, in North Texas. So uh, that was kind of my Fourier into groups. You know, I 87% of my uh, production were solo practices, general pedo, ortho, oral surgery, <laughs> pros, you name it, all the specialties. And that was comprised of a budget, an office design, an equipment order, you know, a timeline, 
uh, an installation schedule. And then as those practices expanded, new operatories, second location, third location, et cetera, et cetera. But that remaining 13% of my production were folks that started with one and ended up with three or 10 or 50 or 100. Right. So many of my early clients were doctors that left organized dentistry because they were getting told what to do or were promised equity and that never came to fruition and felt they could build a better mousetrap and serving patients via, via marketing or branding or scope of services mm -hmm. or whatever. So um, now fast forward, you know, coming up on 20 years here from 04, we're in 2023. So next year will be 20 years. Uh, I, one of my kind of back to the Baylor story, one of my college buddies and guys that I was in business school with was a gentleman by the name of Kyle Francis. And uh, while Kyle and I are the same age, he was a year behind me at Baylor. I'm sure, um, you know, in the Midwest, Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas, uh, we tend to hold, hold kids back. So they, they, they grow a little bigger and for mm -hmm, sports, mm -hmm, mind you, mm -hmm, can, mm -hmm. you know, uh, be a little larger. I tend to do, I went the music route in high school. So uh, Kyle did the sport route, but he was a year behind me at Baylor and actually walked onto the Baylor basketball team. And he had done a, uh, a uh, internship at Goldman summer internship and come back and realized wanted to kind of get into private equity and investment banking and finance and stuff like that. And when he came back, realized that the Wolf of Wall Street wasn't just a movie, it was a lifestyle. And that a lot of those guys are on the road 200 days a year and, you know, struggle to maintain a family and a marriage <laughs> and all that jazz. And he and I being kind of good old boys from my family was originally from the Midwest. He's from Kansas. So we'd always kind of hit it off real well. Anyways, make a short story real long. I started at Shine in 04. Kyle started in, in, at Shine in uh, 05 uh, in Lubbock as an equipment guy. And then over the years was doing kind of transitions on the side. And unbeknownst to me, over the last 15 years, had built the largest, largest merger and acquisition consultancy in the country. Um, so early on, he transacted with some groups that were doctor to doctor or doctor to group in the Panhandle mm -hmm. or in Colorado Springs. And it just ended up being a, you know, a terrible outcome. So he swore off working with organized dentistry for years on end. Well, our paths intersect, you know, I'd build and scale and help these guys that are doctors owning, you know, uh, groups that end up with 30 or 50 or 100 locations. They're doctor owned and doctor operated and clinically autonomous. So with Kyle, that pendulum had swung over the years and mm -hmm. we just kind of, he kind of kept eating his way up the food chain, doing bigger and bigger deals. So now I'm an M&A advisor at PTS, Professional Transition Strategies, one of seven. Uh, and we basically take on multi-doctor practices, multi-location practices. And then a couple times a year, we'll take a small platform direct private equity. So a group that's got 15, 30, 35 locations mm -hmm. that's shifted from cash to accrual-based accounting methodology, already has an admin built out and is looking for a meaningful sponsor, uh, seeking, you know, putting multi-site healthcare, healthcare capital to work. Uh, we run process on those folks as well. So it's meaningful work. Uh, it's a lot of work, uh, but it's been fun to kind of come full circle and uh, start with the little guy and work with the little guy and now kind of protect the little guy and or gal uh, and yeah. partnering with, you know, a, a meaningful um, group that can really kind of create generational wealth by them leveraging their practices and investment vehicles. So <laughs> it's fun. Man, that's awesome. When you were talking, when you threw out the percentage, you know, the exact percentage of private offices you worked with. I remember when uh, we started being friends, you asked us for some help on building out an admin. 
And I remember being so impressed of this like complete handmade, hand rolled system of like, you're like, no, seven spaces before the name means this thing. And, and oh you know, gosh. a dash, a dash space. I'd forgotten all that. Yeah. I remember, I remember thinking like, this man is either brilliant or absolutely <laughs> just crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, and hence, the, the, hence the two versions. I alluded to that uh-huh, in the get-go uh-huh, here. People uh-huh. either love me or they hate me. It's either I, I can't work with this or this is fantastic. So, this is amazing. No, and, yeah. and I just remember thinking like, man, this man has hand-rolled an entire CRM on, yeah. you know, in, 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 on, in a notepad. In Outlook tasks and notes. In, no, l- uh-huh. luckily I've graduated into Salesforce now that I've joined PTS. And, you know, and that was one of the, you know, I won't say contributing factors, but leading factors that that got me uh-huh. here is you know, there's in, in my mind, data validates instinct and no mm-hmm. different than a doctor's got a schedule or an executive has a handler in terms of where to go and what to do to make the most of time. Time's the biggest asset we all have, yeah. uh, finite asset rather, uh, an important asset we all have. So, um, yeah, it's fun to have some tools other than a Blackberry left over from all those years of experience. Yeah, that's funny. Now, what are you seeing as the top two or three challenges that private doctors are facing today? Because I've heard some crazy numbers that we're going to be 70% consolidated in 10 years. And I, I don't know how I feel, but, you know, mm-hmm. what are the challenges you see out there today for private doctors? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think it, it varies um, practice to practice and really based on geography, but post COVID, um, you know, the biggest challenge has really been the same macro factors every other business in the domestic United States is struggling with, which is people, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's been a shift in work ethic uh, broadly. Uh, I think there's been a shift in um, consumer behavior. Um, and, you know, the world's of an ever-evolving thing in place, but specific to the industry, uh, I think the, the, the two main things that are shifting are that you know, when, when you and I started, or I started at least in this mm-hmm. business 20 years ago, most people wanted to associate a year or two and then go do their own thing, start their own yep. practice. And part of the leading indicator of them choosing dentistry was autonomy and being a business mm-hmm. owner. Setting your That's schedule. That's just not the case anymore. Yeah. Most folks, I think in general, um, guys or girls alike, you know, are happy showing up, getting 401k, getting benefits, getting, you know, disability, having days off and, you know, having somebody else schedule their CE, having somebody else do all their credentialing and, you know, punching a time card and coming in and going out. So I think from a patient care standpoint, you know, that's uh, hasn't really affected anything, but from a business owner standpoint, and really kind of what the, what the legacy of dentistry will be down the road is shifting because the providers are shifting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, two things, the, the, the pain point of people, for small businesses. And then the fact that, you know, most doctors entering the workforce as a provider um, on a macro level, don't have a strong desire to be an owner. Um, so it's probably the two biggest things. Yeah. I'm shocked at how consistently poor staffing is today. And I think the front desk has been solidified, but I think hygiene is still a terrible problem for most of our offices. But yeah, no, that's I, that's nationwide. I mean, yeah. double. I think the most recent statistic I read, and don't quote me on this, is something like thirty percent of the hygienists within the workforce workforce didn't return post COVID. So mm-hmm. there's been some big shifts there with a couple hygiene schools that have kicked up. Um, a couple states are now allowing hygienists to own dental practices, 
um, in, you know, based on access to care limitations where you don't have enough dentists as there is right now. So broadening that thesis is, you know, see more people if you can open up the owner pool, right? Um, but yeah, that that's definitely been the biggest thing. COVID was just a weird time with the Black Swan event of people showing up for interviews to get, you know, check a box for unemployment and then, you know, not showing up the first day of work. I think we're through a lot of that stuff. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, labor rates for, for sure with inflation have crept up a bit. Well, you know, collection solves all evils. So it's all evils. So once you cover your fixed costs and, you know, you're, you're covering the cost of your folks, there's still margin plenty of margin in dentistry from an owner standpoint, but, uh, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a macro uh, pain that everybody's feeling for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, interesting that you're on today. I just got off with Jessica probably an hour and a half ago recording and she was just talking us through, she's, she's killing it at Maven. Right. Um, oh, yeah. but no, they're, she was they're busy. saying last year that, you know, um, if you looked at all the expenses minus doctors, you know, they're running about a 65% is about five points higher in co overall cost than they like to see. And that's come down this year by, by a few points, primarily supplies and a little bit of labor, but yeah, I mean, labor's up, I think 5%, which is, I mean, if you think about 5% of your business, that is a massive single line item. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, you're right. It's up. just the way people have to react to it, right? You can't stick your head in the mm -hmm. sand and hope it's going to mm -hmm. be different. Um, specific to dentistry, the people are going to cost what the people are going to cost and supplies and lab are going to be what they're be. You know, the key is 80% of those costs are fixed. So once those are set, you know, uh, watch and maintain the variable costs as best you can supply and lab fee. But then, you know, everything else comes down to seeing more people or doing more on the people that you uh -huh. have only two yep. ways to, you know, grow a dental practice, see more patients, or broaden the scope of procedures you offer the patients you mm -hmm. have. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. that have adjusted to that or have, you know, done a satellite location or built a satellite location um, or bought a satellite location, you know, um, can, you know, can still keep that growth curve moving up. Yeah. Now, final question for you. Do you, do you feel that we'll be 70% consolidated in 10 years? Is that, Great is question. that, is that a number that, people throw out for clickbait? Um, so okay. you know, the only thing you can do is look at history as a leading indicator, right? So what's mm -hmm, happening mm -hmm. in dentistry right now is what happened in the hospital system 40 years ago, the pharmacy system 30 years ago, dermatology about 10 years ago, vet about four years ago, now dentistry. The other two verticals that we're currently in are fertility um, and medical aesthetics and plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and if you look at any of the quant, you know, Harvard, Yale studies on equity arbitrage, consolidating marketplaces, about 60% of businesses participate and, you know, those marketplaces tend to be, uh, fragmented healthcare systems, wherein there's federal or state law that the provider has to be the mm -hmm. one doing the work or has to be the owner by law with good reason. Uh, but that are, are siloed, right? Where you, you know, have limited access to economies of scale, limited access to hiring and firing, revenue cycle, finance, accounting. Mm -hmm. So having a way to optimize a group of practices or a group of providers while still maintaining that quality of care or enhancing that quality of care is kind of the thesis of, of investing in the space, right? On top of that, everybody's got teeth. 
if your house burns down, you get a new house. If you total your car, you get a new car. You mm-hmm. know, if you need dental work, you know, you're largely going to pay out of pocket for it, right? Right. Um, so it, it is a really a cash business similar to medical aesthetics and plastic surgery uh, masked by this this facade of insurance, right? Um, and, pe- and people know that. So in essence, I think that 60 to probably 65% of dentists will participate. And, you know, 30 to 40, 30 to 35 to 40% of dentists won't. And you'll still be able to hang a shingle and own a dental mm-hmm. practice and operate a dental practice. Well, you won't be able to do three to five years from now, candidly, because I think we'll probably be consolidated in around seven. It won't be 10 and it's not going to be two. But in hindsight, it'll all be 2020. What you won't be able to do three to five years from now is leverage your practice as an investment vehicle. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, it will return to an equilibrium of transaction pricing being a methodology of a percentage of collections, similar to what individuals are trying to buy practices at right now. Uh, if you look back, you know, 10, 15 years, getting a lending approval at 100% of collections was just unheard of from a bank because there would be some attrition when that doctor's goodwill goes away and old doctor goes away and new doctor comes in. Well, now <laughs> you can't buy a practice for 70 to 80% of collections anymore. In a no, major sure MSA, you might be able to mm-hmm. to in a rural area where they're the only provider and, you know, that's all that you've got buyer one of one, right? That's going to do that. But, um, you know, effectively, we don't do a lot of individual transactions, but we do some annually and they tend to trade at the 90 to 100 percent of collections mark, certainly if they're in a major market, because there's, you know, a lot of people looking to buy that practice. So um, in summary, I, you know, I think we will get you know, to that equilibrium here within probably seven, five to seven years. But, you know, people that participate in the upside of, of the equity will need to be in, you know, now or next year uh, to really achieve some kind of, you know, generational wealth out of the, the increase of that equity. Matt, man, might be the smartest dude I know in dentistry. <laughs> I don't know about that. I've just seen how he's tell people. I've I've just seen everything. Don't tell anybody. I'm not that good. I've just seen everything, namely what not to do, but also some people that have done it right. So if you bank those learnings, then hopefully you can pass them on to somebody else. Yeah. I think, you know, when you, when you mentioned the things that happened in, in the medical space to date and, and, you know, vet, and I think we saw it in optometrist as well. I mean, yeah, Mm -hmm. you can find a private one, but you know, it is definitely more challenging than it, it is to go to a chain and, you know, and, and they found a way to keep most, for the most part, the clinical care high. Um, I, I think, you know, what, five years ago, you know, DSOs were associated with poor dentistry and, you know, they, they've been able to turn a corner. A lot of them have on that. And well, but, and that's the reputation they earn too, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I would I would argue seven to ten years ago. I won't name names, but insert sure. X Y Z, you uh-huh. know, air quote DSO here. You know, there there are those groups that do de novos and startups, and those that buy practices. And historically, the ones that are not clinically autonomous, but rather clinically directive, and tell doctors how to treat tell doctors what percentage of the American population has perio. So, you know, <laughs> seven out of 10 of your patients need to be diagnosed SRPs today. I mean, that's just not good for the business. No, it's um, not. And in fact, I read a statistic recently that with those types of groups, the average tenure of an administrative employee 
is like 18 and a half months and the average tenure of a clinical employee, something like 14 months. Cause you just, mm-hmm. you know, it ends up being a revolving door of recruiting and replacement. But in summary, most of the doctor led doctor owned groups of which there's about 350 in the country, self-identifying DSOs from two to 2000 partners, uh, partner doctors or partner locations, right? Um, most of them, and by most, I mean like 70, 80% are clinically autonomous. <laughs> so the, the theory is to augment training or offer, um, you know, clinical training if you need it. But for all intent and purposes, you know, that's a doctor decision or a practice decision. Right, right. Um, and it's good that that is the, you know, the industry standard. Now, the other thing, you know, the joke we use within our firm is DSO is either a three-letter acronym or a four-letter word, depending on who you talk to. And luckily, you know, with hopefully some folks like us on the advisory side and doctors being picky about who they partner with, if they're, you know, talking to a group individually, finding the right one that that will maintain that goodwill of the business and maintain that presence of serving the community of patients that comprise the practice. You know, there's a lot, a lot of groups that are passionate about that. And there's plenty of upside without touching any of that, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to get margin from not paying people less, uh, but, you know, making people's lives more efficient or right. to your point, optimizing front office, optimizing schedule, maybe doing assisted hygiene or, you know, broadening the scope of procedures that you just really didn't have a roadmap for. Um, in fact, the average increase in margin of a single solo practice when plugged into a group, same year over year collections, is something like 8.2% straight to the bottom line. And that's just, you know, economies of scale and payroll. Just being effective. Lab, mm-hmm. Right. And it's not that you're getting told what to buy. It's you're buying it from the same person for less. And it's yeah. because all of the, you know, suppliers and labs and payroll companies and accounting firms, you know, in the space know that. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot more to support one more practice when you're already supporting 30 or 50 or 100. So, you know, there's there's a lot of math there that goes into that. But well, you, you need to look no further than the best companies that serve in the industry. Like and, uh, you know, selfishly, the reason we specialize in dentistry is we know it is the first practice was very expensive. The second, third, fourth and X practices for us to serve is like we're not retraining our staff on how to write content. We're. When someone says all on X, we know exactly what that means. We know what happens when uh, when we have a young doctor come in. We know what happens when we add build an op or add a technology. Those economies of scale are massive, and they cascade directly to the bottom line. And that's why you see private equity, you know, have such a high rate of of participation. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And that's why you know I really do get a lot of joy out of what I do. Um, you know, I had the pleasure starting these things early on. And now, you know, it's a real passion of really everybody on our team that the legacy of private practice is, is maintained and leveraged as an investment vehicle. So, you know, at the risk of sounding wildly arrogant, I feel like, you know, the process we run ends up making us market makers rather than market matchers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but driving up returns and transaction pricing for doctors that want to partner and that want to participate in this and making sure that there's no gotchas or, you know, watch, watch outs down the road. Um, we, uh, you know, we want to make sure that that is really that that practice and the goodwill and, and the legacy of the business does live on, uh, indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing well by doing good, kind of the, you know, the good old, good old fashioned mantra for, for business. So it's, it's been working out so far. Man, Matt, that's a wonderful place to wrap it up. 
Matt Zolfo, Professional Transition Strategies. Thanks so much for being on the show, my man. I appreciate it, Eric. Thanks for your time.